You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to The Chris and Joe Show on Big Blue View Radio, your go-to source for New York Giants analysis. Pressure from Thomas off the edge. Eli Manning stays on his feet. Airs it out down the field. It is caught by Tyree. We're back for another episode of The Chris and Joe Show, presented to you by SB Nation and Big Blue View. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by Chris Fum, and today we're joined by a friend of the show, former host, writer for Big Blue View, Dan Pizzuta, now a writer and editor for Sharp Football Analysis, here to talk about the analytics of the upcoming season for the New York Giants. Dan, really appreciate you coming on. How are you doing today? Uh, I am doing uh, quite well, uh, given the you know circumstances of everything. But uh, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to uh, be here and, and talk some football. Right. Like we were saying right before we recorded, it seems like it's been centuries since we've seen some professional football because no preseason, no... Um, just not the same level of interaction with training camp as we typically would. So it's it's probably a little tough right now trying to figure out some uh, football headlines to discuss. But uh, nonetheless, we still have some interesting things we want to talk about, uh, about the analytics of the New York Giants. So the first thing that we were interested about, and I think fans are always going to be interested about with the New York Giants is Saquon Barkley. He's the the biggest name on this team. He is the most talented player. He was the only player to make the top 100 for NFL players out of anyone on the Giants making it to that 31 spot. For you, Saquon Barkley, how might his his usage and his productivity translate with a, a different offense and like some of the things we saw from him last year? What are some of the tendencies that we can expect maybe this year with a completely different offense? Yeah, so that's super interesting. And that's obviously going to be kind of the analytical debate that starts with the Giants all the time. I mean, back when you know I was doing the show, it's what Chris and I had to talk about literally almost every episode. And it's it still continues and it's probably going to continue You know, the longer however long uh, Barkley is really on the team. But I think what's interesting, and I, it, it's still a, you know, extension of what we've, oh, we're always talking about is, is how well he can be used in the passing game. And that's what's going to matter. Um, it, the running, it, it doesn't matter as much because there's just not as much value. It's uh, lower, uh, lower ceiling on that. And it just, it doesn't bring the value in down to down. So what's really going to matter this year is, is how well Saquon Barkley is used in the passing game. And that's where the value is going to be. You look at guys like Christian McCaffrey. Um, it, that's, he got most of his value from catching the ball last year. The Panthers were behind a lot, but the Giants were behind a lot also. So it, it's something that can be used like that. And how far he's going to be used, you know, beyond the line of scrimmage, uh, because he, he's a good receiver. He can actually be a receiver. He can line up in the slot. He can line up out outside. Uh, so when you look at that, I think how the Giants are going to 
use him like that is where most of his value is going to come from. And if they just want to keep him behind the line and, you know, have him run between the tackles, like we saw uh, mostly for the past like two years, uh, that's just, that's not going to bring enough value of, of the player. Right. I think uh, one of the things that people don't really consider now with the modern NFL is what leads to the most success out of running backs is not the guys who pounded between the tackles. Like Derrick Henry, I think, is an outlier. Outlier. He's so big, he's capable of, of doing that where they just run the hell out of him and it works. But most successful running backs now, like Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, uh, Todd Gurley before he has had his knee issues, a lot of those guys are dual threats as receivers and running backs. So you really do need both ends of the spectrum to to be a good running back in the NFL. And Barkley has shown he can do that. He did that in his first year, not so much last year. He showed flashes of it. So maybe with uh, Jason Garrett, they're more willing to go forward with getting him the ball in space and using him as a receiver rather than saying, all right, we just want you to run the ball 30 times a game. Right. Absolutely. And I think one of the interesting things, and I wrote this in uh, Football Outsiders Almanac, I did the Giants chapter for that this year. I also did the Cowboys chapter, if you guys want to uh, take a look at that. It's available at Football Outsiders. Um, it's a great work, just league-wide. Uh, but one of the things I noticed, and I hadn't before I went into this book, is even with Barkley not at 100% last year, the Giants as a team were technically better running the ball. They had were at minus six and a half a uh, DVOA in 2018. Um, and that's just, you know, the standard down to down efficiency. Um, in 2019, they were minus five. So that's just a, a little better. I mean, not a huge improvement. It's not like they were a crazy better team running the ball, but that's an improvement in efficiency. When Barkley was not a hundred percent, they were kind of mixing and matching uh, some guys who out there. So that's, that's kind of how, you know, the run value works where ha- having that one guy, just behind the line all the time it is not going to matter. And there's so many other things that go into, you know, having a productive run game. Um, and I think to get the best out of Barkley, you need to make sure those other things are what you're focusing on. And when you're saying other things with the run game, I assume you're probably going to be, or probably thinking about the offensive line as well as his usage in the passing game. Cause uh, one thing I've noticed was uh, in Barkley's rookie year, the giants had a just, terrible run blocking offensive line. I believe they were what 28th in adjusted line yardage. And this past year they creeped up to right around the middle of the pack. I don't remember recall the their exact ranking off the top of my head, but the offensive line was doing a better job of opening holes. So at least to me that seems like it would be easier for Barkley to be more efficient on the ground even though he was injured and it's just normally a high variance runner where either he's going to have a home run or he's going to get tackled behind the line of scrimmage and there's not much in between. Yeah, that's one of the things you're kind of going to have to live with with Barkley. I, I remember writing about this for Big Review. He kind of had that that boom bust a little bit and, and that boom is, is huge. Those are going to, when you runs those 60-yard touchdowns, not a lot of running backs are going to be able to do that, especially in the circumstances Barkley is put in. But you have the those highs aren't always, you know, as meaningful and don't always bump up the lows that come with some of those, you know, zero and negative one yards that 
that happen um, at, at kind of a, a higher rate than some other running backs. And I think when you know, we're talking about offensive line, that's part of what adds to the running game. Um, and having a good offensive line, it's it's you know getting better, but also kind of this situation in which you're asking a Barkley to run, um, and that's you know in stacked boxes with the Giants, we're still doing too much when you have like eight or more defenders in the box, and we kind of know that now. There's been enough studies where offensive personnel and the way the offense has spread themselves out kind of invites those players into the box. It's not necessarily defenders looking at the specific running back and saying, we need to stop this guy. If you're in three wide and those receivers are completely spread out, there's less room for defenders to be stacking the box. Uh, But the Giants still weren't doing that as much. And they were terrible uh, when they were running against stack boxes um, last year. And they weren't nearly as good when they were running from under center. Barkley was a much better shotgun runner. So it's just the the situations there, um, just everything else that it's so many things that just besides the, the actual individual running back, there's so many other factors that play into, into what you're doing and how productive you can be on the ground. Basically, the Giants should be passing to set up the run. Yes, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> spread, yeah, pass pass to run, spread to run, um, and, and stuff like that. I think you, you've been seeing a lot of stuff with Jason Garrett. You're going to be seeing more, you know, 12 personnel on the field maybe. Uh, that should be how you set up to throw the ball when you're heavier. You bring some uh, heavier defensive personnel onto the field, and then you can pass there. Um, and I think when when you're in 11 and stuff like that, um, it, it can spread out the field a little more, give Barkley a little more room in the middle of the field, um, and, and that's kind of where you can gain your, your small advantages running the ball. And, well, speaking of passing to set up the run, I think we have to. the next place we have to go is could be the most important player for the Giants and could also be kind of the third rail of discussions about the Giants and that is Daniel Jones their new starting quarterback he took over for Eli last year and he is taking over for himself this year so using the numbers I suppose to kind of strip away bias uh take a look at the forest instead of just the individual trees where was Jones successful last year and where did he struggle so the the whole Jones conversation is so interesting because it's kind of a a bit of a like a, a Rochark test of, of what you are looking for in the quarterback. If you want to look at Daniel Jones' season and see a lot of the highs and think those are going to continue, you're able to do that. If you want to look at Daniel Jones' season and look at some of the lows and think those are going to continue and derail his career, you can also do that. Um, so... And I think that just kind of comes to how he was uh, as a quarterback and the the places where he did succeed and the places where he really struggled. So one of the things I looked at, and this was much earlier in the offseason, is uh, his production on the types of dropbacks um, that he had. So on zero to one step drops when he was getting the ball out quickly, he um, he was first in the league in EPA per attempt. So he was the best quarterback in the league last year on zero to one step drops. He was getting the ball out quickly. Um, The offense was super productive. When you took that to three step drops, 
he turned to 40th of 41 qualified quarterbacks um, in EPA per attempt. When you go to five-step drops, he was 26th of 26 qualified quarterbacks with uh, the uh, enough dropbacks there. So, And those were all with 50 attempts. So when you got to those deeper drops, Daniel Jones had to stand in the pocket a little more, had to survey the field uh, a little more often. That's when the production really fell off. But that is where you know those high-value throws are going to come. So... Um, you know, it's to be in the three-step and five-step drops and not being able to get production there, that's going to lower the ceiling of uh, what a quarterback can do. And I think a lot of that kind of comes from Daniel Jones standing in the pocket. That was some the offensive line, but a lot of it was kind of his awareness. And that was also, you know, a a catch-22. He had some of those plays where, you know, he wouldn't feel pressure. And I think that's a lot of what Daniel Jones does. He doesn't really have a great feel for the pocket or feeling defenders coming at him in the pocket. And sometimes that allows him to have great throws with a defender in his face. Other times he doesn't feel the pressure. There's a guy who blindsides him. That's where a lot of those fumbles came from. And I know there's been a lot of talk about Daniel Jones, um, you know, adding muscle, uh, working on keeping two hands on the ball. But if he's not feeling, you know, Chandler Jones coming around the edge, it doesn't matter how muscular he's going to be. He could look like the rock back there. Uh, and he's still probably going to lose the ball if he gets hit like that. Um, so I, I think so much of the awareness, I think, is, is what's going to be the key to how Daniel Jones improves in year two uh, and beyond. And last year, uh, that was not good, uh, but there there was some good that came with it. So I could see you talking yourself into that, but I, I think there's some of the things that he didn't do well. And I think that awareness is potentially a fatal flaw that could completely derail, um, you know, the upside that he had did bring. And, and he was much better at, at some aspects of the game than a lot of people would have expected, especially like what I would have expected if you were a longtime listener of this show. I was not high on the Giants drafting him. He did do some good stuff that was better than you know you would have expected. But I think where he struggles is something that's potentially going to hinder all of those good things. So now shifting our focus here to the guys that he's going to be tossing the rock to, the people he's trying to distribute the football uh, within this Air Coryell new system for Jason Garrett, the receivers, and you can lump Evan Ingram in there as well because he is just a very large receiver uh, on this Giants roster. I would, I think most people could barely consider him a tight end at this point. He does block occasionally, but that's not exactly his, his strong suit. Just from what Jason Garrett as, maybe not so much as a play caller, but as a coach, uh, how do you think that he'll be able to possibly maximize the strengths of this group, which is primarily the speed of Evan Ingram, uh, the speed of Darius Slayton, and then the uh, shiftiness of Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard? You know, that's a great question and probably something that we would be getting a better answer to right now if we were able to see them on the field um, and practice and see, you know, some preseason games because, you know, I I think uh, so much of the talk right now is that Jason Garrett does prefer, you know, that vertical-based system. um, And, that's not exactly where any of these guys win. Well, I mean, maybe Evan Ingram. And I think if you're looking at a guy who's probably going to benefit the most from this type of system, it's going to be Evan Ingram. But you have, you know, three wide receivers in Shepard, uh, Tate and, and Slayton who aren't 
great natural separators. And I don't think Jason Garrett's system is one that's going to naturally scheme guys open either. And I think that's part of what went into Daniel Jones last year also, where when he knew where he wanted to throw, he was probably going to throw it whether it was open or not. And you had some of these guys that weren't exactly, you know, getting the separation. So that led to a lot of uh, tight window throws and, and some dangerous throws where interceptions could have happened even if they didn't. Um, but it also led to, you know, some spectacular catches. It's kind of, you know, the other thing of Daniel Jones not feeling pressure. There was a lot of plays where, you know, there were, you know, those 50-50 balls to Darius Slayton, which usually aren't 50-50. We say that, but usually when you're looking at like expected completion percentage, there may be, you know, 30-70. Uh, but Darius Slayton had some great plays there. Um so I think we're going to see that element come. I think a lot of that's going to be whether Slayton can continue to have um, that type of success on those contested catches. Because even for like a four three nine guy, he's not someone who was running past defenders a lot. He was able to get down the field, but he still had to work his way into some of these contested catches. So I, I think if he can improve in separation a little bit, that'll definitely help. Um, but I think we're still going to see a lot of these short and intermediate throws to Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate. And I think we're just going to, I think there's going to have to be a, a mesh between getting those two guys into where they succeed and also the the deeper dropbacks uh, that Jason Garrett is probably going to want. And I think it, it might be a little messy in the first couple weeks of the season as those two ideas start to mesh when they really are able to get on the field. And that's not going to be easy because the, the opening stretch of the schedule is not a fun uh, slate of defenses either. Oh. All I know is if I never see Evan Ingram running a three-yard crossing route again, it would still be too soon. Yeah, I mean, there's there's an hour-long supercut of the two of us oh. uh, talking about that on, <laughs> on early episodes of the podcast. Yeah, uh, so I, I think... Yeah, Evan Ingram is probably going to be the one guy who who does benefit the most. I think you're going to hopefully see some more seam routes from him, and you know that's he's a guy I think who can naturally create separation, uh, especially working against you know linebackers or, or smaller defensive backs. Uh, I think he's going to be that uh, that mismatch that you really thought he was going to be when he was drafted. I think he's finally going to get that chance. So I think he might be the bright spot of the passing game. So the last little piece here for the the offense that we would just like to discuss, just based on the analytics and some of the stuff that you've looked at, which offensive players to you feel might be in the best position to break out? This could be a skill position player, maybe for some of our fantasy football listeners that want to know some names to listen for, or heck, it could be an offensive lineman that people are, are a little bit unsure of that could fill in for some of these open vacancies along that O-line. Is there anyone that you think could be a good breakout candidate or not so much? Yeah, we, we just talked about Ingram. I, I think if you're, if you're looking at you know, what the potential could be, I think he has the highest upside in this offense. If you're a fantasy guy looking at, you know, those three wide receivers, um, I'm not sure who is really going to break out. Uh, obviously, you know, you have Slayton who is going to be that guy. He's probably going to have, you know, the, the highest average depth of target. He's going to be the deep threat like he was last year. So if it's going to be a more vertical offense, uh, you probably have the higher upside there. But whether there's going to be, you know, a, a full breakout, I'm not totally sure how much Slayton can improve upon what he did last year. You know, I don't think we should be expecting some 1,200 yard breakout from him. Um, 
No, but I, I think if you you know look at the offensive line, uh, there's there's some interesting uh, guys there. I think Andrew Thomas was a guy that definitely it stood out. Um, one of the things I, I found while I was researching for the Football Outsiders Almanac is uh, over the past three seasons uh, when Thomas was at Georgia, he was called for holding just twice. That's that's huge. Um, he, he's a guy who is really able to um, set up well. It's technically good. He, he's also athletic. Um, so I think if, if he's going to take over at left tackle with Solder now out um, for the season from the opt out, I, I think they have a, a pretty good setup uh, at, at left tackle. So I think he's someone who's probably going to be able to jump in and make an immediate impact. So we've just got a few questions to uh, ask about the defense. Before we do get to those, we have to take a very short commercial break. As any fan of the Giants know that we, especially the show, we talk about the defensive line a lot because it is a pretty underrated defensive tackle group. There is not much to be said similarly about the, the pass rush. Should the Giants be worried at all about the available pass rush they have do you think they're going to struggle to get after the quarterback in a word yes probably (laughs) um when you look at kind of the talent they have and i think getting marcus golden back uh is huge he was uh seventh in quarterback hits last year and a lot of those were kind of late in the down he wasn't really an early down um you know winner is not someone who's going to just beat the offensive tackle or right off the snap. Um, but he's someone who's a- able to work toward his pressure. And I think that's going to be good. I think Kyler Fackerel is probably somewhere between the 10 sacks he had two years ago and the one sack uh, he had last year. Um, but I think so much of this is going to be it's schemed around. And, and even you know Dave Gettleman has said that where they're going to try to scheme. And uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see what Patrick Graham does. And I kind of... Um, I guess uh, I don't even know how long ago at this point, but I wrote about kind of the the Bill Belichick coaching tree and how uh, they rush three a lot, but they uh, the people who do that well are also the guys who are going to be blitzing more. And Miami last year with uh, Brian Flores and Patrick Graham were a team that rushed three at, at a high rate, but also were able to follow that up by, you know, rushing six or more. So when the opposing quarterback was looking at the line of scrimmage, he had no idea who was going to come. And sometimes uh, it was a three-man rush, but the way those three-man rushes were set up were still that there were, you know, two one-on-ones and they were still able to have that advantage there. Um, Or it was just going to be, you know, an all-out blitz. And and a lot of that still gives the defense the advantage. So I think a lot of that is going to be schemed. And if you look at what Miami did last year, I think it was a really well scheme defense they just didn't have the talent to make it matter Uh, that's kind of where the giants are also sitting now so i think they're they're, i think we're going to see a much higher blitz rate uh than we did last year i think you're going to be looking at some of the the linebackers and the defensive backs are probably be going to be just as big part of the pass rush as those main edge rushers are because i'm not sure there's going to be uh there's really not going to be another option so talking about the defense and uh, rushing three or blitzing, and I would say versus like a natural four-man pass rush. You know, last year the Giants had one of the worst four-man pass rushes in the NFL. Their I think their pressure rate was probably bottom five. 
but their pressure rate actually came up was came up to about middle of the pack when they sent more than four rushers when they blitzed. Uh, however, their in those cases their secondary kind of let them down. You know, we saw them hemorrhage big plays through the air, and quarterbacks when they weren't getting sacked were almost unaffected by the blitzes. So, based on the changeover the Giants have made in their secondary, because other than adding Kyler Fackrell, they really haven't changed anything about their four-man pass rush. Do you think they will be able to basically hold up when they blitz? You know, Will the secondary be able to at least give the pass rushers, the blitzers, enough time to affect the quarterback rather than just uh, falling apart like, like they did last year? Yeah, I think that's going to be a uh, key to what they did well, last year. So uh, last year, the Giants blitzed their defensive backs 13% of the time. That was the 11th highest rate uh, in the league last year. But when they did that, they were not very good. They allowed a 34.8% DVOA, which was 30th in the league. So they blitzed those defensive backs at a high rate, uh, were among the worst uh, in value when they did so. So I think you're going to see a lot of that. And so I think a lot of this is just going to be how the coverage holds up just in general, not even when they blitz, when they do rush four, when they do rush three. Um, you know, right now, it, it kind of looks similar to what it was last year. You basically have James Bradbury, who was quite good last year and probably even better than, you know, his his charting stats would say because he has, you know, two games a year against um, Michael Thomas, two games a year against Mike Evans, two games a year against Julio Jones. Um, that, that's a huge, being a, a cornerback in the NFC South and not easy. But you have James Bradbury basically filling in for Janoris Jenkins. You now have an even bigger question at the the other outside corner than you did a, a month ago, which was already a question. Um, say, or, or even five days ago. Yeah, that too. Um, so that's that's a huge question. I think what you're really going to be looking at is is how the Giants use their safeties, and I think that's probably going to be a key to uh, key to the defense. Last year they were they were in nickel sixty three percent of the time. They were in dime with six defensive backs eighteen percent of the time, which was sixteenth. I think you might see that bump up a little more. I think you might see some th- more three safety looks um, with uh, Xavier McKinney, um, you know, Julian Love, and and Jabril Peppers, and probably have Jabril Peppers be the you know that that pseudo linebacker probably playing next to Blake Martinez uh, much more often. And you kind of have six defensive backs on the field, but you still kind of have two linebackers on the field also. Um, so I think that's going to be a, a pretty big key into uh, how the Giants are, are working around their, their defense and, and kind of adding to their coverage also. So last question, similar to the one we asked for the offensive guys, is there someone you think defensively the Giants could have breakout or is it possible there's not really anyone that's, that's too uh, intriguing uh, for the Giants. Yeah, I think you could probably look at Julian Love and his... Uh, his, his role is probably a, a bigger question than you know it was that five days ago. Um, or whether he's going to you know play uh, slot corner, or maybe if he you know moves to outside corner, which he did uh, a bit in college, or if he's going to be you know that at safety, uh, he's going to be at defensive back that probably plays a bunch. Uh, we we were putting together football outsiders puts together the um, their twenty five 
top prospects every year. And that's, you know, guys who are in the league drafted in the third round or later, uh, who've played less than 500 career snaps. Um, Julian Love uh, was number 12 on that list. Uh, I was a big voice uh, in the room to uh, putting him uh, up a little higher. Um, so I, I think he's someone who's going to be a, a big key in that, just kind of uh, like I said before, of whether how much these guys can move around. Cause I think you have three potential safeties who can, you know, play a bunch of different positions and be versatile. So I think those safeties are going to be the key uh, and playing the middle of the field um, and making life a little easier on the cornerbacks, whoever that, you know, second cornerback is or whoever that slot cornerback is. I think those safeties are going to be a big part in how they are able to cover. And I think Julian Love, regardless of what position he actually plays. Um, he had one of the lowest uh, adjusted yards uh, allowed per coverage snap, which is basically just yards allowed uh, with touchdowns and interceptions. Um, he was uh, one of the best corners uh, in that stat last year as a rookie. So I, I think he has the, the most potential to be a, a big impact player uh, playing all around that secondary. Well, b- both of you guys know how big a fan I am of the Iowa State defensive scheme. So that's that stacked defense. I love it. So this, that's music to my ears. Yeah. I would, I would like to see that a little bit. And I think that's probably the giants, you know, best way to do it. Not is not a, not a big nickel, but uh, you know, a true three safety defense that uh, I think that's going to allow Jabril peppers to uh, play in the box a little more that might allow, you know, uh, even Blake Martinez to uh, step up in the box a little more and, and play closer to the line because last year with the Packers, you know, he put up a lot of tackles, but they were kind of you know empty tackles. Um, Sports Info Solutions did uh, it did some value on tackles, and his average depth of tackle was four point one yards uh, past the line of scrimmage. Which you know, when you look at other guys who were among the top tacklers, like Zach Cunningham was at two point seven, um, Eric Hendricks was at three point three. Um, so. Uh, that's something that you could maybe allow open up Blake Martinez to allow him to look more uh, closer to the line of scrimmage. Well, Peppers can be a little closer to the line of scrimmage and you have, you know, Julian Love and Xavier McKinney in the backfield. Uh, that's probably going to be the best bet for this Giants defense and how Julian Love plays is going to be uh, that, I think that, that big impact. Well, Dan, that was all the questions we had for you today. Where can uh, the folks listening go find you on on Twitter and also the the website that you write for? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. You find uh, everything I've been writing at sharpfootballanalysis.com. You can pick up the Football Outsiders Almanac 2020. I did the Giants chapter and the Cowboys chapter. Uh, I also uh, edited and did some uh, defensive analysis for the 2020 Sharp Football Preview book. I had a very busy uh, (laughs) offseason. We also had a a podcast now, our Sharp Angles podcast with me, Warren Sharp, usually uh, Rich Rebar. Um, You can find that wherever you get your podcasts also well dan thank you again for coming on the show that is it for today's episode folks be sure to follow dan also follow us at big blue view you can follow me at joe de leon and follow chris at raptor mkii and also go to bigblueview.com
more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.